Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. We're going to talk about how we change and how the Lord changes us. And there's a movie, a number of different ones that have come out over the years, um, repeats and reruns of a movie called The Enemy Within. But the one that comes to my mind when I think about it is of a young woman who was living in her home and she was blind and she had everything set out in her home so that she could comfortably live and move about. But a man moved into her home who meant her no good. And he was for a time living within her home and pretending that he wasn't there. She didn't know he was there. And then eventually she starts to cotton on that actually somebody's... Start to make the hair stand up on your neck that somebody would do that. And uh, this man was living within a home, and the movie's entitled The Enemy Within. Today, I want to talk to you about the enemy within. There is an enemy within each one of you here today, an enemy that seeks to tear us away from God, an enemy that seeks to cause us to actually not be humble before God, and an enemy that lives within us that wants to actually cause us to rebel against God, an enemy that if we allow ourselves to be controlled by this enemy will actually end up causing us to be the enemy of God. When you come into the book of James, this is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. This book is written very shortly after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul hasn't even begun his ministry. We're so early in that. And James, the half-brother, the the elder and pastor over the Jerusalem church, writes a a letter, and a powerful, powerful letter. He doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't mince his words. He doesn't write 12 chapters when he can write the few that he has. James is a man who speaks his mind, and it's going to be very confronting for us today as we go through that. The thing that I found most shocking about this when I read this passage this week was it wasn't actually speaking to you. And then I was confronted with the reality that I had to preach to you. And so here you are this morning, spectators on my bus. It's actually speaking to leaders. James, out of the context of chapter 3, when he was speaking to the leaders of the church, and we flow into chapter 4, he's speaking to leaders about their heart before the Lord. The place, the source where we find conflict in our lives. Where, does, where do these wars, where do these conflicts come from? And we're going to see that. We're going to expose that. We're going to talk about how we can defend ourselves against that so that we are people who experience genuine change. But before we experience genuine, heartfelt, godly change, it's important for us to understand what needs to change and why it's so hard to change so that we're not trying to change the wrong things. We're not talking about becoming more religious. We're not talking about doing a renovation on the outside. We're talking about understanding how God has made us and how we live within this broken world and how we can interact with our living God and be the people he wants us to be and find genuine heartfelt change. Let's pray together before we jump in. Father, thank you for these beautiful people that have gathered together. Thank you for Timon. Lord, thank you for refreshing him and his time away and keeping his family safe and drawing them back to us. And that's an answer to prayer, and we praise you for that. Father, we thank you for Daphne and the family and the precious witness that went out this week as we celebrated the life of Andrew. And Lord, we rejoice with you that he is with you, enjoying 
you today. We praise you for the healing and strength that you've brought over Jenny, and we pray you'll continue to go before her. Father, we pray as we open your word that you would speak to us powerfully. We pray that you would meet our need. In Jesus' name we pray. There are, for the sake of getting through this as quickly as I can, I want to break it down for you, and I've alliterated it so it sounds like a Baptist preacher, but I've broken the first part down in three parts, and I've entitled those three sources of conflict. And the first source of conflict is revealed for us in verse 1. If you look up on the screen or in your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along either way. We read this in James chapter 4 and verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And James says that the first source of wars and fights among us is not the enemy without. It's not the enemy out there. It's not the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you or behind you. It's actually the enemy within here. And the way that we describe this enemy within verse 1 is the enemy of self. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and the penalty of death, separation from God, fell upon all of their children, fell upon you and me, fell upon all of God's creation, the curse of sin. And now we live as those people who have begun to live as God's children. We are God's children. We have His Spirit dwelling in within us. We are new creations, but we still battle with the fallen nature and the inordinate desires that that brings within our hearts. And the most wicked of those desires is that we desire to serve ourselves. We want to be our own God. And you think, I don't want to be my own God. I'm happy for God to be God. But that's not actually the way we live. And as James speaks to these leaders, he said, the greatest fight, the greatest thing that you have to be aware of, the thing that you must not trust, in fact, you must have a healthy distrust of yourself, is that we tend to worship ourselves. The quarrels and fights come amongst us, not because of what you have done, but because of what's going on in my heart. It's because I desire things. It's because I desire power and position and comfort and protection and authority. And I desire these things so deeply, it distorts the way that I deal with people within my realm of sphere. It distorts the way that I treat my wife. It distorts the way that I treat my children. It distorts the way that I treat my precious work colleagues. And the battle is not them. The battle is in here. It's within me. I have a tendency... To serve myself. And I don't want to be polite about this. It's not a small tendency. It's like a roaring lion. And it's a tendency that lies to me. And it's a tendency that deceives me. It can even wrap itself in a veil of, you're serving the Lord. Surely this is a pure thing that you are doing. But actually at the heart of it, I'm actually serving myself. And James says, this is why we get into quarrels. This is why we have fights. It's because of those passions that are serving, that are working within you. These are where conflict comes from. The second source of conflict is pride. James chapter 4, 2 and 3. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, 
So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Not only are we men and women who have a propensity towards serving ourselves, but we have a propensity towards pride where, again, it's all about ourselves. We become such selfish people. And again, remind yourself when you read this, this is hard to believe this church is only a young church. It's only been a short period of time since the Saviour has gone to be with the Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit has indwelt the church. Thousands and thousands of people have been saved. There have been miracle upon miracle witnessed in this young church as it's growing. And James pens this letter to the leaders. It's a pretty shocking indictment when you think that their lives are marked by these things. We are so broken. We are so broken that we have this propensity always to serve ourselves and to live out a life of pride. It says here that they've become murderers. It's not actually that they had dead bodies in the cellar. Our cellar here is not full of dead polys that we've lusted after or desired and so we've murdered them. But it's talking generically about the fact that so powerful is our desire to serve ourselves. So powerful is our desire to exalt ourselves. So powerful is the desire for us to get our own way that our thoughts towards one another turn to evil. And we think things within our heart and within our mind that frankly if they were voiced, people would be shocked. We envy one another. We hope things for one another that we should not hope. James just calls it out and says, this is not appropriate. The inordinate desires within your heart have become so powerful you seek to murder one another. You covet what the other person has. You cannot obtain it in your own strength so then you end up fighting and quarreling with one another. Pride has racked your life so much that you don't even think that you need to ask God for what's going on. It says here in this passage that you do not have because you do not ask. So full of pride, their hearts have become so captivated by themselves that they don't even go to God in prayer. They have this attitude of, I don't need to go to God in prayer about this. I deserve this. I should have this. Surely God's going to give me this. And here we see a picture of a man or a woman who is not surrendered to God, but actually full of their own pride. And then when they do pray, have a look at the way they do pray. Have a look at the way I have prayed. Have a look at the way perhaps you have prayed. So you do not ask, you do not receive, but you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Have you ever prayed a wrong prayer? And what did it sound like? Did it sound so wrong that everybody in the room thought, man, what's he praying that for? Surely that can't be right. No, we're actually a lot smarter than that. We're a lot more self-serving than that. We pray prayers that sound so motivated by godly things and sound so flowery and so powerful and so full of passion and vision and kindness that we deceive ourselves and we deceive one another thinking that these are wholly motivated by the glory of God. But they are motivated by pride as we seek to exalt ourselves and manipulate God to worship us. And this is speaking to Christians. And not just 
the average Christian. This is speaking to, to leaders who have been transformed and raised up by God. And so insidious and so powerful is this enemy that lies within. James says, be warned. This is where the fights and the quarrels come from. It's not because one of you has more truth than the other. It's not because one of you has a bigger vision than the other. It's because you seek to serve yourself. And you've wound it up in such a way with your pride that you've made it look religious. But it is nothing more than an act of self-worship. The third source of conflict that arises in their hearts is unfaithfulness. You must be getting a glimpse of how hard this was to prepare this week. Not only was it a busy week, but then I felt like, I'm sure that Timon gave me this passage. He thought, Jeff needs to read this. <laughs> He's so clever that he organized the preaching plan a year ahead, knowing that this would come. Okay. As I read and prepared, every prayer I prayed, I doubted that actually it was about God. I realized perhaps it was more about me. The more I read and the more I listened, I recognized that my pride drives probably everything in my life. And I found myself almost not able to cry out to God because I could say, God, I'm not even sure this is about you anymore. I don't know what to say to you anymore because I am so prone to serve myself and I need to be so circumspect about my attitudes because even when I think they are righteous, perhaps they are shot through with self and with pride. Please help me. And then finally he speaks about unfaithfulness in James 4 and verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And this is speaking to the leaders within that community. Speaking to all of us today who belong to the living God, we've been sealed with the Spirit, we've been given the new nature. And James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And what does it mean? Is he talking about the fact that we're all sleeping with someone else that we shouldn't be sleeping with? And there is too much of that going on, and we all know that. And we need to repent of that. But that's not what's in view here. What's in view here is the general overruling idea that when we do not worship the living God... And when we worship ourselves in place of the living God, we are committing adultery. God designs you for worship, but not worship of yourself. He designed you for worship of Him. But ever since the Garden of Eden, as broken people with distorted emotions and desires, we are driven by our brokenness to worship ourselves. But we are so clever, we wrap it up in religious garb, thinking that somehow or other we can deceive God that God will not see through the religious garbage that we give to him. Oh, we deceive ourselves. Make no note, I've done that. And we deceive one another. But God is deaf to us. He can see the rotting mass of self-worship a mile away. We add these and thous onto it. We can pray in the King James. We can pray for others. But at the heart of it, we want to be lifted up. We want to be exalted. We want to be worshipped. And God calls it what it is. It's adultery. False worship. 
And he says, do you not know that that will make you my enemy? Proverbs says this to us about adultery. Just the process of adultery. How easy it is for us to slip into this. All at once, he follows after her. This is speaking about the literal act of a, a prostitute leading a man astray. Or anyone, man or woman, being led astray into immorality. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. He thinks he's going to have 15 minutes of fame, but God sees it very differently. He is going to the slaughter. Or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into the snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. So bent out of shape are we. So broken are we. So much do we have a propensity to serve ourselves that we do not even know that we are in the snare. We do not know that we are like an ox going to the slaughter. We do not even know that we have been pierced through with an arrow. All the while we are praying flowery prayers to God, claiming great promises, believing that we're doing great work, but in fact all we're doing is serving our own desire. And even get the grace of God in this. And even in the midst of that, our God is merciful to us. Our God is merciful to us. So merciful that he would speak to us and say, do not do these things. So in love with us, is he? He says, do not go that way. I want you to come this way because I treasure you. Do you understand when God says now that I chastise you because I love you? And how beautiful it is to be chastised. How painful it is to go through it. How humbling it is to realize how wrong you can be. But how lovely to know that deep peace that thank you, God, for saving me from myself. Thank you, God, for saving me from myself. Three weapons that we can use to fight against these. Firstly is position. James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And what I mean about position here is, is the arrogant position that I'm standing in now. I'm upright, chest out, trying to suck my tummy in but it's resisting. I'm the captain of my own ship, the master of my own destiny. Nothing could, that's just deception, you know that, absolute deception. I am, as God's word tells me, I am but a vapor. I don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no clue. I've got it in my diary, but the chances are I could be gone before that happens. But this position that he's speaking about here is a position of getting in line. And humbling yourself before God. Getting away from that arrogant posture that I am in control of my life. I am the one who is going to set my destiny. I am the one who's going to achieve these things. And reminding ourselves that Jesus Christ actually died for us. He paid the price that we could not pay. And all that we could ever achieve, we can only achieve as we abide in him. And he says submit, which is a a military term of getting in line. It reminds me of lining up at school. Used to hate lining up at school. All the, the weak little kids used to line up at school. But all us tough guys used to stand off to the side. Got in heaps of trouble. Just made it easier for the teachers to get the cane out and hit us without hitting the other kids. And God's done that to me. I've, I like to get out of line. I get over here and I'm sure that I'm doing the right thing. Man, I'm praying the best prayers and I'm doing the best job I can. And the way I see things is the way it surely is. 
I know where we're going and why we should be going there and how we're going there, only to find out that I've got it completely wrong. That I'm way out of line. And that I need to get back in and submit myself to God and all of my plans to God. To acknowledge that in fact He is the one who leads us. He is the one who controls our circumstances. And you'll see this borne out further on in the book of James down in verses 13 to 16. You have no way of knowing what comes to tomorrow, but we know the one who does. So the first thing to battle against the idea of self and the idea of pride and unfaithfulness is to get in line with God and humble ourselves before Him. And the way that I have done that this week is to come before Him in prayer and to read His Word and bring to Him all the plans that I have and lay them before Him and ask Him to be Lord over those. I fear it's very, very hard at times for God to speak to us over these things because we read so little of his word and we spend so little time in prayer and we are so proud and so arrogant, we very rarely submit our plans to him. We are so busy running our lives in the name of the Lord that we actually take very little time to humble ourselves before him. I often have thought of God in the way that he deals with me. I am... And as I think you are too. Have you ever tried to handle a tissue with wet hands? And they, you punch holes in it and you tear it apart. And you, in the end, you might as well just use your sleeve. I feel that's what like God's with me. He wants to reveal himself to me. And he wants to speak to me. And he wants to show me the way. But I am so frail and so thin and so incapable of hearing from the creator of the heavens and the earth that he's delicately trying not to destroy me as he speaks to me. But he does speak to us through his word. I felt him speak to me this week. And he didn't sing my praises. He didn't clap his hands and rejoice over me. He said, Jeff, you are a man who is prone to serve yourself. You have even convinced yourself that your thoughts are my thoughts. Your pride is so powerful that you worship before me, believing that you are worshipping me, but you are simply worshipping yourself. Every thought you have is a thought for yourself. You are so unfaithful. You are a worshipper of yourself. You are an adulterer. Submit yourself to me. Humble yourself under my mighty hand. Get back in line and worship me. The next weapon that we have is shown to us in verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who needs to cleanse their hands... Who needs to purify their hearts today? Who needs to stop being double-minded? I know I do. Don't miss what God is saying to you. Draw near to God. This is such, this is just, this is ever, all you ever heard. This is amazing. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The one who made you in his image. The one who is holy, holy, holy. The one who is above all others. The one whom every knee and every tongue will confess and bow before. 
He is worthy of all praise. And he will be the judge of all the earth. And he says this to you, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Wow. What an offer. What an offer that the creator of the heavens and the earth would draw near to us. He is so beautiful. He has no need of us. We have no charge against him. We cannot call upon him and say, you must do this. And yet he gives himself lavishly to us and says, if you will purify yourself, stop sinning against the Lord. And for me, this meant on a number of levels, two levels that this spoke to me about personally that might relate to you. There are things that I have done and do and wrestle with that, that I must stop. On, a, on that level. But then it speaks to our heart's attitude as well. The, the envy and the lust. And I'm not just talking about sexual lust. I'm talking about the lust for power and the lust for honor and the lust for comfort and the lust for the good things in life that become such a God to me that they take up my attention and my time and they are so dangerous for me because they distort my ability to understand that I actually am serving myself and not the living God. They lead me into that confusion. So I need to flee from those things. And I need to humble myself before the Lord. And this is how I see this acting out in purity of sin. That means that I rise early and I pray. Depending on the battle that you face, you may need to go without your food for a period of time. You need to cast yourself upon the Lord. And the way you cast yourself upon the Lord is not just to say it, but is to act that out in your life. You know when I say purify your hands, you sinners, right into your mind comes the thing that you need to release and put under the blood of Christ and flee from. And beg God to speak to you and to visit you and to rescue you from serving yourself and from your pride and from your unfaithfulness. And may he fall upon you and bring you into the grief of that, that he might bring you out of it. The third one that I want you to see, and I pronounced this wrong 15 times in the last service. And I'm not even going to try in this one. You just read it, okay? My beautiful wife sat down after me, honey, you say it like this. And I practiced it. I watched her lips and I practiced it with her, but I just couldn't get it. So you guys are just going to have to do Does anybody like to put their hand up and say it? What's the third thing? Thank you very, that was brilliant. Thank you very much. James 4, 9 and 10. Have a look in your Bibles up on the screen. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Can you see the flow from where we've come? That we are to position ourselves and submit. That we are to purify ourselves from our filthiness and the filthiness of our attitude, our self-righteousness, our arrogance and our pride. And then with that, we are to mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh God, I am so wretched and my sin has been so repugnant before you. I have been so consumed with self-righteousness. I have been a stench in your nostrils. I've been prouncing around thinking that I'm serving you. I've been praying prayers about my future solely to meet my own need. I have been consumed in worshipping myself. I have made plans for my future apart from you. And he says, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
there's this beautiful dynamic here, just very quickly. A lot of our self-service, my pride and my self-serving and my unfaithfulness, largely the goal of that in our lives is that we might be exalted. Whether it's to comfort, whether it's to power, whether it's to position, but behind all of this self-serving is a goal that somehow we're going to be lifted up. Somehow we're going to reach that deep, goal that we have burning away in our hearts and the reality is that we're actually moving further and further and further away from it all the time this is how deceptive self-worship is the very thing that we crave we end up moving a mile away from and what God says is actually the pathway for that to know true peace to know true comfort to know true joy fulfillment is to actually humble yourself before me submit before me Surrender your life and your plans to me. Purify your hands. Bow before me and in worship and mourn over your sin and seek my forgiveness. And eventually, when he is ready, at just the right time, and he seems to be very good at this, just the right time, he will do the work in you that will not only bless you, but will actually bring glory to God. And for every believer, there is a desire within us to glorify God. But it often gets drowned with the desire to serve ourselves. Just quickly as we draw to a close, I want to show you some slides on the screen that will demonstrate to you the need to stop worshipping ourselves and start worshipping the Lord God. And the first slide that you'll see up there, you'll see in, can you read that down the back there? What's in the, uh, the heart shape? What's the word in the heart shape? Thank you very much. And what happens is that when we serve ourselves, and you probably can't see it very well, but there's supposed to be a really big blue line, but just a little secret, Jeff's not very good at PowerPoint, so that was as good as I could do. But there's actually a, a thing blocking serving ourselves there. What happens in life is we want to serve ourselves, but we often get blocked. Somehow or other, we can never, ever get quite what we want. And so what happens is that when we get frustrated, when our desires get frustrated, our heart produces fruit. Now, when Jeff Littlefair tries to serve himself, this is the fruit that is born. I get angry, I get frustrated, I get bitter, I suffer from fear, and I could go on. And that's just before morning tea. I haven't got enough money, so I feel angry. Haven't got enough time, so I feel frustrated. Carol's not meeting all my needs, so I'm feeling really fearful about the future. On and on and on, I feel blocked. Because the person that I am trying to worship is myself. The next slide will show you what happens when Jeff Littlefair comes to the point where he says, God, I recognize you made me and you have saved me for yourself. And it should be my goal in life to worship you and to honor you in the light of all that you have done. I am overwhelmed that you would die for me. I am overwhelmed that you would make me my, your child. I am overwhelmed that you would redeem me and sanctify me. I am amazed that you would provide me a home in heaven. I am amazed that you would forgive me and enable me to forgive others. God, help me to be a man who speaks to my wife, who lives out my life in the light of that grace. Let me live my life to honor you. When I run out of money and when I get frustrated at work and when I get frustrated at home and when those losers toot their torn horn at me, oh, it makes me angry. This is actually what happens when I'm living for the Lord. 
I produce forgiveness and love and compassion and peace. This is how we get lasting change. Lasting change comes through recognizing, as James says, is that we have a propensity towards serving ourselves. We should have a healthy distrust for ourselves. We should be captivated by the grace of God. We should recognize that we need to check every day who is on the throne of my heart. Who am I actually worshiping here? Why am I wanting this thing that I want? Is it for me or is it for the Lord? Because when we do that, and when you understand who God is and what he has done for you in the gospel, it will restructure your heart so that you begin to desire him. And that will bring lasting change in your lives. We have people who will be at the front of the service today. If you have the humility to come forward and ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin, come and pray. I'll be here. Come and pray. Purify your hearts and your hands, you sinners. Humble yourself before the Lord. And the evil one will flee from you. And you can be a man or woman who continues to serve the Lord, not just give him lip service. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your chastisement. Thank you for your love. Thank you that even though we are so frail and so deaf and so hard to speak to, you find a way to speak to our hearts and rescue us from the futility of serving ourselves. You rescue us from the deception of pride and the sin of adultery. And we thank you so much that you love us. We humble ourselves before you and we feel sick over our sin. We feel sick over the way we think. We feel sick over the way we pretend before you that we are seeking to serve you while all the while we are serving ourselves. And we pray that you would have mercy upon us as you have promised in your word. We seek to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. We humble ourselves before you and we pray that you will glorify yourself in the time that pleases you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.